0: Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but these are the words of God, and they will stand forever. I think it's safe to say that kind of right now in pop culture, the anti-hero is really in, right? You know what I mean by the anti-hero? Um, man, we could name a thousand TV shows that are that are huge right now, and movies the the movies that sell the most tickets right now. The anti-hero is that sort of main character that has unconventional qualities that would otherwise make them the real hero of the story, but they're different. Uh, they're not like the the strong moral record great upstanding hero of the story They they have different qualities and they're intriguing stories these are you know anti some that that came to mind for me as i was thinking about this is characters like iron man is a little bit of an anti-hero right a little unconventional um the hulk is that way a little bit uh wreck it ralph is actually an anti-hero but he becomes a hero Those characters, there's some that slide a little more into like the true anti-hero darkness side of things. Wolverine is always on the list of those sort of characters. Uh, Captain Jack Sparrow or maybe the best anti-hero of all. You know him, you love him and sometimes you hate him. Michael Gary Scott. (laughs) Michael Scott is the true anti-hero of The Office. Part of what's intriguing, I think about the Jonah story, is this guy is not typical. Like He's not your kind of The way you think about typical Bible story character hero types, at all. He's so interesting. He's actually somewhat of an anti hero. He's a prophet who hates the people he's called to go preach to. He's a clergyman who stays mad at God for the entire four chapters of the book that's named after him. He's the messenger who despises his own message. Like, he's an anti hero of this book. But here's what I hope you'll see this semester as we go through this. We actually identify with antiheroes. That's part of why their stories are so intriguing is we identify with certain characteristics. We'd like to think of ourselves as supermen and, and wonder women, but if we're honest, we're a lot more like Loki than we are Thor. Like we just are, if we're honest with ourselves a little bit. We're a lot more like Jonah than we might be comfortable admitting. In fact, I think one of the most important things you can do if you go along in a study with us this semester is begin to kind of hold up Jonah as a sort of a mirror in which you look in and you see the story and you see where you might find your own reflection. And of course, I'm going to help us along in that somewhere in this story, you'll see yourself, maybe everywhere in this story, you'll see yourself. And maybe even tonight you'll begin as we consider this first part of the passage under three headings, the call, the response and the lesson First is the call. It comes really clearly. The word of the Lord, verse one, came to Jonah and saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of background data right out of the gate. Like, who is Jonah. And, and where is Nineveh? Uh, that would be boring. So, who is Jonah? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Somebody, I heard someone ask it in the back. I wasn't planning on it, but since you asked, Jonah Jonah's a prophet, right? The office of prophet, let's, let's talk about that for a second. It's, it's the guys, especially in the Old Testament days, would, would be these people who would sp- speak, God would speak to and speak through them to other people. Um, Often the thrust of the books of the prophets in the Old Testament were messages God would give to these particular folks and they would go and deliver these messages to particular uh, people. Messages to particular people. Most of the time it was um, Israel. It was delivering a message to Israel. Jonah's a little different though because Jonah's message is he's called to cross some borders and deliver a message to someone else, not Israel. But also Jonah's a little different because the focus of this book isn't so much on the message to Jonah as it is on Jonah, right? This one's not as much about the message as it is the messenger. Uh, It's not as much about um, God's words through him as much as it is God's words to him. And we'll see that as we go along. Jonah uh, is a real guy. This isn't some fable. Jonah was a contemporary to other prophets like Isaiah um, and Hosea. He lived during the time of King Jeroboam II's reign, who wasn't a particularly good king. And here's why this is important, because unfortunately for Jonah, he comes up in another place in Scripture. This is in 2 Kings 14, that Jonah was not critical of Jeroboam's kind of reforms for Israel to expand their territories at a time that God did not say expand your territories. And Jonah, unlike a lot of the other prophets of the day who pushed against Jeroboam's reforms, Jonah does not. He's sort of a yes man to Jeroboam, even when he was doing something that wasn't honoring to God. That's a little bit of a hint into the character of Jonah as we go along. He's a little bit misdirected in his passion. We'll see more of that, especially next week. But Jonah was a prophet that God chose to speak to and through. And specifically, he's going to speak to Nineveh. What was that? Where's Nineveh? Okay, let me tell you about Nineveh. Since you asked, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Here's why this matters. The Assyrian Empire, the evil Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was the capital. God's people, Israel's enemy, the evil Assyrian Empire. It stood, Nineveh stood on the east bank of the Tigris River, 500 miles northeast of Israel. And the word great here in God's description, when he says, go to Nineveh, that great city. It's not great, like good. It's not like the way you use sick. God's not like saying go to Nineveh. It's sick. That was funny when I wrote it. Uh, (laughs) But instead, it's great. Like it's big, right? He's he's getting a point across that Nineveh is not great, like good. It's great, like it is a huge and it's an important city to God. As we'll continue to see, let me give you some examples about uh, Nineveh and the Assyrians evil nature that comes out. This comes from several commentaries. This is a little gross and and brutal. I'm going to give you some descriptions after the Assyrians would capture enemies. They were known to to uh, cut off their legs and one arm and they would leave the other arm to shake the hand of the enemy as he was dying. That's one example. Second example. Often the Assyrians would decapitate their victims, give their heads to family members to hold on poles and parade them through town. They would force them to do this. A third example is that they would often hang the, the skin of their victims on walls like artwork across their cities. Like that's the people that God is saying, hey, Jonah, go to them. I have something I want you to tell them. We would all be hesitant. And Jonah is hesitant. He's more than hesitant. How did he respond? Says Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So these words are important. God says, Jonah arise and go to Nineveh. The words then say Jonah arose and fled to Tarshish. Now this would be for the sake of illustration. Let's just say that I'm a dad of two young girls hypothetical. And we're getting these two young girls ready for school in the mornings. Just, just pretend this would be a scenario. And, and, uh, And I say as a dad to these two young girls, children, arise and get your backpacks on. And let's just say for the sake of illustration, the six-year-old arises and goes upstairs to, quote, look for something. And then the eight-year-old looks at me and I say, arise and get your backpack on. And she arises and goes to the bathroom again. They would be, in in a hypothetical situation, doing the exact opposite of what I'm asking them to do. We're trying to move toward the minivan parked in the garage. They're moving directly away from the minivan parked in the garage. Got it? Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. I've got a map for us because I think this helps really show what we're working with. I stole this from somebody else. I didn't make this. Here we are. Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. You see the direction? This is east. Jonah arose and he went to Tarshish. You see this? We think Tarsus is in southern Spain. That's amazing. (laughs) Exactly like in a picture. That's exactly what's going on here. That's Jonah's response. He is literally doing the exact opposite of what God was calling him to do. Our anti-hero, right? He is arising and he's fleeing. So it begs the question, Jonah, why are you running? An important question, right? We need to dig into that question as we go along this semester and we will start to tonight. Why are you running? Why are you going the other way? I'm not going to fully answer it tonight, but let me tell you two reasons why I think and pretty well know that he's not running. This, these are two reasons he's not running. One, he's not running because the message was unclear, right? God is crystal clear to Jonah what he's calling him. Now, we don't know how that message came. It doesn't tell us in this particular passage. This could be an audible voice of God. He did that at times for prophets. This could be such such a clear impression on Jonah's heart that he knew this was God calling him uh, to do this thing. Regardless of what it was, what we do know is that God was speaking clearly to Jonah. He heard from God and he did not listen. The second reason I know that he's not running, he's not running because he feared the Assyrians or he feared he might die. I know that's why you or I might not go to Assyria in the ways that I just described for us. They're scary, but I don't think that's the case for Jonah because Jonah doesn't seem to fear death at all. If you're familiar with this story, what's about to happen very soon is he's the one who has the idea to throw me into the water. He's not scared of death. In fact, he may want to die in chapter four. He says to God, I think twice, just let me die now. It's interesting. So I don't think Jonah's running because he's scared. There's something deeper going on here. And I chose the word deeper for the name of our series. I'm calling this deeper grace. On purpose. It's interesting that the word down, D O W N, is used so many times throughout these four chapters. It's used three times in verse three, the word down. Be on the lookout for that word. The reason I think that's important is because there's something deep down inside Jonah that has to be dealt with. Deep down in all of us, actually, that needs to be dealt with, that has to be exposed in order to be healed. Again, Jonah serving as a mirror for our own hearts. And that can be scary. We don't want to know what's going on deeper down in our own hearts. We certainly don't want others to know what's going on in our real deeper down areas of our lives. Um, In fact, we work really hard, really hard to build an outer shell self that we don't want people to see through. And we do this in a thousand different ways, right? We do this in the words that we use in the quick conversations. Um, how are you doing? Fine. Good. How are you? Busy. Me too. Yeah, I'm studying. Great. Nope. not much sleep. Me too. Yeah. And that's, and that's where we kind of stay or we do it through social media. We kind of build this image or we do it through whatever, but we, we have a false self that we want people to know us by. And when people start to move past that outer self, we get really anxious, Right. Um, Think about it. Why do you get nervous when people start asking you real questions? Like when they don't ask you just about the game, class, weather, and they ask that, that next question that actually is hard to answer, you get a little nervous, right? Why is that? We don't want to go deep down. Why is it that you don't want to talk about how scared you are of your schedule this semester and that you might need to let some things go? That's a hard conversation, right? Why is it that you, want, you don't want to talk about the things that are actually going on at home? Why is it that you don't want to admit that scary thought that's been in the back of your mind that the thing that you keep struggling with may not just be a thing you're struggling with, but it may actually be called an addiction? You may need some real help. We, we don't want people to know that version of me, right? So we kind of keep playing the outer shell game. The fear of being known is so often what's, what keeps us from real friendships. It's what keeps us from deeper friendships. And, and I would even say it's what keeps some of you from dating with any sort of seriousness, with any sort of idea of some, maybe a commitment beyond let's go on a few dates and have fun and, and whatever. Here's why I bring that up. is I came across this great quote from Donald Miller's old book, Blue Like Jazz. This is a book I read years ago when I was in college. But I came across this quote last week where he said, he said, I had, I've had 50 people tell me that I fear intimacy, and it's true. I fear what people will think of me, and that's the reason I don't date very often. People really like me a lot when they only know me a little. But I have this great fear that if they knew me a lot, they wouldn't like me at all. That's the number one thing that scares me about having a wife because she would have to know me pretty well in order to marry me, And I think if she got to know me pretty well, she wouldn't like me anymore. Can you relate to that feeling? Not just about marriage, but about friendship. We could quote the Aver brothers here, too. They've got a great song, Paranoia and B Major, where they say, I've got secrets from you. You've got secrets from me because I'm so worried about because you're so worried about what I'm going to think. Baby, I'm worried, too. I just think we live in that tension of I want you to know this version of me. I don't want anyone to get past that. I'm so worried about what you're going to think about me. So I will keep who I really am a secret. I'll show you kind of the the good parts. But if you get too close, I will catch this. Start to run the other way. There's a deep fear of being found out, of being exposed. Do you want to know why I think John is running? Part of why he's running is because God knows him too well. And it scares him. And Jonah is running, not from Nineveh, but from God himself. It says it twice in our passage. Where's he running from? Away from the presence of the Lord. That's what he wants. He can't run away from the presence of the Lord. We know that. But that's what he wants. So, what's the lesson for us? I want you to begin seeing yourself in Jonah. Are there places that are coming to mind already that you don't want to go to? Even people you don't want to go to. The text kind of begs the question, who are some of those folks, those Assyrians that you will never associate yourself with? Are there enemies that you've been avoiding? Or maybe it's not enemies. There's just groups of people. There's groups of people even on this campus. There may be individuals even in this room that you would say, I can never talk to them. Or that they simply annoy you and you run the other way when they're around. Like there may be ways that that God perhaps is already bringing folks to mind or types of people that you tend to run from. I heard another pastor share a story about um, when he and his wife went on their honeymoon to San Francisco years ago. Uh, they were staying in this super nice hotel that they could not afford. Someone else put them up in that hotel, which is how ministry works. And um, they were in this super nice hotel. They went to the concierge desk and they were like, hey, we, we want to know some places that you would recommend that we go see in the city, in the Bay Area while we're here. And then he said the first thing the concierge did is she, she put this printed map out on the table and she took a big red marker and she drew three X's on this map in particular areas, and then circled them all. And she said, these are three places that you want to avoid. Those kind of places in town that tourists shouldn't wander off to, those potentially dangerous places in town. I think it brings up a really interesting picture. What are the big red X's in your life? The places where you've just got, you've picked out a permanent marker and you've just written an X and you circled and you said, I will not go to them. Or can I make it a bit harder for us? Because it's not just people and places. It's also the, the places in our own hearts that we don't want to go. What are some of the stories in your life? The experiences, the doubts, the relationships? That you have written a big red X across and you say, no matter what, I'm not going there. Can I tell you, God maybe wants to go there this semester with you. Down to the deeper places because it's in the deeper places that you begin to experience deeper grace. Jonah can serve as a mirror for us, and we don't always like what we see in the mirror, but we need to look and prayerfully even consider this semester what God might have us see. But Jonah isn't just a mirror to see ourselves. Jonah serves as a window through which we see a much better prophet who is to come. It's so interesting. Did you know that Jonah is the only prophet that Jesus compares himself to? It's interesting. Jesus compares himself to Jonah. This comes in Matthew 12, which we'll go to later in the semester. But part of the reason I said up front is I believe Jonah to be a real historical figure is because Jesus spoke and taught about Jonah as if he was a real historical figure. And he pointed to him in his teachings and he says Jonah's whole point, the point of his existence was to point to a greater prophet that was to come. He even said Jonah is a sign of, of things to come because something greater than Jonah is here. We can identify with the anti-hero. We are a lot more like him than we want to admit. But, but as you identify potentially with the anti-hero of the story at times, I hope that it will create a longing inside of you to find the real hero. Because where Jonah hears the call from God to arise and go to Nineveh and he literally runs the other way. The real hero, Jesus Christ, hears a similar call from God to rise from his own throne in heaven and to go to earth. To enter the land of his enemies and to give them a message of hope. And he doesn't flee. He doesn't run the other way. He runs right into the heart of the land of his enemies to preach to them, to love them, and even to die for them. To preach to you. To love you and to even die for you. On the night that Jesus was arrested, we're told that just before he was arrested, he was in the garden and he was praying. And there was some tremendous anguish in his prayer because he understood the call from God and he understood the cost. And in that prayer, Jesus said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me yet. Not my will, but yours be done, because there's something greater than Jonah here. Grace greater than Jonah for you. So here's the thing, whether you want to admit it or not, or whether I want to admit it or not, in some ways in our lives, we are. We're all on the run from God. Some of you are hearing the call to follow Jesus. And to listen to his calling for you as a Christian in this world, a Christian, even on this campus. And whether we want to admit it or not, some of his messages are actually very clear. We're just not listening. His call to you as a Christian on this campus to pursue a life that's honoring to him in all sorts of ways, all sorts of implications. God is giving you a clear call as a Christian in this world to not sleep around, to not engage in sexual relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend. God's very clear about that. That's not up for question. Are you listening? To not cheat, to not gossip, to not think of yourself as better than somebody else. God's very clear about these things for us. Are we listening? His call is clear at times. And sometimes we're still running the other way. And for some of you, you're running from God's clear call to serve him even now. Your call may be different than Jonah's, but I would encourage you. uh, Some of you are making your college experience all about you, right? And all about what you can get out of this place. And all of your relationships are all about you and what you can get out of them for you. God's calling you to quit running with your busyness, running with your many important obligations, running with your overcommitments, but to sometimes just stop and sit and listen and engage in a conversation to pray for, pray with someone to share, to love. Listen, for all of us who are running in one way or another, I want you to see that the story, <laughs> the story doesn't end with Jonah running. In fact, it literally begins there. We've got a lot left to study. Because this story is not about Jonah and his running. This story is about a God who's running after him. And who's running after you. And that's good news for us because the deeper we go into understanding the reasons we run, the deeper his grace will be for us in those very places. I want to close with this image from an old classic children's book called The Runaway Bunny. You all know this, bu- this story. It's, uh, it's a little disturbing, if I'm honest. <laughs> it's one of those kind of old school classic kids books. And it, the, the plot is very simple. There's this little bunny who wants to run away, thus runaway bunny. And he tells his mom, he says, Mom, I'm running away. And she says, if you run away, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. He replies, if you run after me, I will become a fish in a trout stream and I will swim away from you. She says, if you become a fish in a trout stream, I will become a fisherman and I will fish for you. The little bunny, he keeps coming up with all these scenarios of different ways that he can run away. He says that he's going to run off to a rock on a mountain or he'll become a, a crocus flower somewhere. Or he will be a bird who flies away or a sailboat. He even says, I will join the circus and I'll become a trapeze artist. And the mom is relentless. She just keeps coming up with ways that she'll find him. She says she'll become a mountain climber and she'll climb up to wherever he is. She'll become a gardener who will search out all the flowers until she finds him. She will be a tree for him to land in when he wants rest or the wind to blow the boat where she wants him to go or a tightrope walker who walks across the rope to find him high on his trapeze. No matter where the little bunny goes, his mother pursues him. There's nowhere that she can go that his mother won't find him. That's the simple point. And the story ends with a little bunny saying, well, I might just as well stay where I am and be your little bunny. And the author adds, and so he did. Someone pursuing us, no matter where we run. It's a love I think that we all long for very deeply. It's a love that we're looking for in so many of our relationships. It's a love we find on display in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have said to God, I'm running away from you. I'm going to act like I'm God and you're not. I'm going to come up with my own rules for my life because this is my time. I know what's best for me. And I'm going to do it my way. And he says, if you run away, I will run after you. And I will become a man. And I will die the death that you deserve to bring you back to me. And the author adds, and so he did. The real hero has come and he's come for you to save you from your running. You can give, he can give you everything that you're running for. In fact, he died so that you can now rest. Will you listen to his voice? calling to you even this semester. That's your invitation tonight, even your call tonight, to listen as he's calling you. Would you pray with me?